Good morning, everyone. Glad you could join us this morning. My name is Eddie. I'm glad to be here also. Really feel like a great privilege to be able to share with you this last message in a series of messages we've called Questions from Jesus. Not questions for Jesus, although we all have them. We've been looking this time at questions from Jesus, questions that Jesus asked people around him. Sometimes these questions were pointed, sometimes they were painful, but they were always, always important in some way or some shape or some form. So today we're going to be looking at a new question. We've asked questions such as, um, who do you say that I am? We, we've looked at questions that Jesus asked like, uh, do you love me? Do you really love me? We've looked at questions like last week when we said Jesus looked at Mary Magdalene and said, why are you weeping? <clears throat> I love the question we're looking at today. It's a sad question, and yet it's a powerful question. It's an important question because it causes us to look deep into our heart. It comes from a challenging conversation that Jesus had with some of his followers along the Sea of Galilee. And the question is simply this. He asked his followers, <clears throat> you don't want to go away too, do you? Wow, do you hear that? You probably can guess where that came from, but we'll look at it in just a moment in the text. And, and yet, what a painful question. Looking at his friends, saying, you're not going to leave me, are you? You don't want to go away do, too, do you? Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, whether it's on your phone, your tablet, maybe a copy of it uh, bound together, however you want to find it, look for John's Gospel, chapter 6. Go ahead and look there. That's where we'll be, and we'll pick up an account that this question occurs, John chapter 6. While you're looking, <clears throat> I was reminded as I read of this account of a few days ago, I was in my home and in the kitchen, and I was hungry. Um, I, I opened up the refrigerator and I looked up, opened up both doors so that I could scan all the shelves, all the food that was on the shelves and in the doors and everywhere around. And I was looking at everything and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hungry. <clears throat> I just don't know what I'm hungry for. <laughs> Have you ever been there? You're hungry. You just don't know what you're hungry for. Or, or maybe, maybe uh, you're like me. Every now and then Beth will ask me about dinner and she'll say, hey, getting ready to think about dinner what are you hungry for? <clears throat> that's a great question. And, and kind of that's a little bit of the gist of what we're going to see today in this question from Jesus. Uh, Jesus was challenging some people with the idea of, I know you're hungry, you know you're hungry, but I'm not sure that you know what you're hungry for. I, I'm not sure if I know what you're hungry for. And so let's talk about that. Let's look into that. Maybe you've been there before. <clears throat> well, early in Jesus' Galilean ministry... Um, he attracted a large crowd. <clears throat> By the time we get to John chapter 6, he's along the Sea of Galilee, and he's been doing miracles. He's been uh, healing people. He's been raising people uh, who were lame. He's been giving sight to those who were blind. Uh, he's been casting out demons, and great crowds have begun to follow. In fact, in the sixth chapter of John, John, no less than five times, talks about the crowd and how big the crowd was. In fact, he uses the word huge at one point, talking about the crowds. And one time he says there were so many that he didn't know how he would feed them. So one day he's challenged by the fact that this big crowd has come, and as he, as he begins to pierce into the crowd and look into the crowd, some things begin to arise and some thoughts begin to come that lead him to a place of asking his, question, his disciples, his twelve, 
a very decisive question. So let's pick up reading in John chapter 6. I want to begin with verse number 60, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. John says, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Uh, We'll come back to that in just a moment and talk about that. This teaching is hard, they said. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that those who did not believe and the one who would be, uh, uh, that there was those who would not believe and he knew the one who would betray him. Verse 65 says, He, that is Jesus, said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples. Now, another key word right there, right? Many. We're not told a number. We, we, we're not... I don't think the, the number is important, but many of this huge, large crowd, many of his disciples. And by the way, he uses that term disciples very loosely there, doesn't he? Many of my disciples, many who I've been discipling, many, he says, turned and many walked away. They no longer accompanied him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, Here's our question. You don't want to go away too, do you? There's the question. You don't want to go away too, do you? I think Jesus there is asking a piercing question. A piercing question that demands a response. And the response that we get, get, we'll look at in a moment, may surprise you, may not. Uh, But really and truly, as I read this passage of Scripture, I'm thinking about the response that comes from the twelve, the disciples. But I'm also thinking about that question being asked to me. You won't leave me, will you? And, And what's my response? What's my honest response? What's my sincere response to that question? I think it's worth us taking a look at this gospel account for a few moments this morning and and really being challenged by that question. You don't want to leave me also, do you? Now, as we look at the text, John chapter 6, I think we have to look at three things. And these three things will at least help guide my thinking and and maybe help you set up, help us set up the the setting for this question and how this question comes about and why Jesus asked this question. I think it's very pertinent for us today. The first thing I want you to observe as we read the text, as we look at John 6, is the searching crowd. There's a crowd that's searching for something. John starts the sixth chapter in verse 1 by saying this, After this, after many of the miracles that have taken place, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, a huge crowd. There's that mention of the word, huh? talked about earlier, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So John says a huge crowd is gathered and clearly they're there seeking something. They're looking to Jesus for something. They're looking to see more about who this Jesus is and what he's up to and, and what it means to them. John says that they were following for a reason and John clarifies that reason. He leaves no doubt about the reason. John says they were following because they wanted to see miracles. I don't know if they were curious. I don't know if they wanted to be entertained. I I don't know why. Maybe it was they were looking for a miracle in their own life. I'm sure that was true of some of them. 
But John also explains that they were looking for a sign. A sign. Now that's very important. They wanted something that could convince them that he was who he claimed to be. From the very earliest point of his ministry, people began to at least murmur and at least began to rumble, make rumbles that this Jesus of Nazareth could be the coming Messiah, could be the Messiah that we've been waiting for all of these years. And so as this anticipation that he could be the Messiah built, they were looking for a sign. Is he who he claimed to be? The crowd was large, the day was long, so eventually they became hungry. In fact, the, it, the crowd was so large and they were so hungry that Jesus asked Philip, uh, Philip, where will we find food to feed them? In other words, these people are hungry. <clears throat> They've been with us all this, this day. They're tired. They're hungry. <clears throat> we need to feed them. And of course, Philip says, how are we going to find food to feed this many people? John reports later that there were 5,000 men in the crowd. Now, that's not counting women and children, and so who knows what that number really was. But one thing we do know is a large group of people are there to be fed. So Jesus gave them at that moment the sign they were looking for. Because when they, maybe you've heard the story, it's very familiar, and perhaps you've heard it, maybe you haven't. It's really a, it's really a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, this story is so significant and so important that all four gospel eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about this event. Jesus said, bring me what you have and we'll feed them. And the disciples came up to him rather sheepishly and said, well, all we have is five little loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And Jesus said, it'll do. And you know the story. He prayed over it, blessed it, broke the fish and broke the loaves and fed the multitude. This was the kind of sign that the Jews had been looking for from their Messiah. This is what they had been hearing about. This is what they came to see. This is what they were hungry for. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see something incredible. <clears throat> and Jesus did not disappoint. But yet, as Jesus moves on through the story, and as we move on through the account, and we see Jesus' action and question and conversation with these people, we find that Jesus confesses to them, uh, shows them that they're really confused about what they're seeking for. They think they're hungry for one thing, and in reality, they're hungry for something else. Now, Jesus shows them grace by feeding them in the time of need, but also now he's about to tell them the truth. Jesus is that blend of grace and truth. You remember John's gospel early on? The first chapter, he said that Jesus was the Word who became flesh, and he was full of grace and truth. We would do well to learn that in our own lives, to be full of grace and full of truth. That is, full of grace and that we are kind toward others and we love others as ourselves. We love others the way Jesus tells us to, and we extend grace, and yet... There also is the moment when we must extend the truth. And sometimes the truth is painful. Sometimes the truth has to be told, even if it's not something we look forward to hearing. So Jesus extends grace, feeds the crowd, and then as they begin to talk a little bit, he shares with them the truth and what they need to know. And basically what he says to them is, you guys, <clears throat> you've come to me, but you didn't come here to me for me. You came for signs. You came for miracles. The crowd was dismissed, and 
Jesus went on up to a mountain. John tells us to pray. And the disciples got into a boat and crossed over the Sea of Galilee back toward Capernaum. And maybe you're familiar with that story. You don't have time to unpack that. But a storm arose and, and, and the disciples are in the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the sea and, and he in, comes into the boat. The, the storm settles and they go to the other side. And so, again, we see this wonder-working miracle thing. And, and the, the people show up the next day. And when the crowd gathers around him, they're saying, how did you get here? We, we didn't see you. How, how did you come? And, and, and perhaps that's when some began to share the story of the miracle. I don't know. But he looked at them again and he said, you're following me, but why? You're following me, but why? In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So it's the next day from the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is there. The crowd is gathering again. And he says, you've come here, but you don't fool me. You're not here for me. You're here because you're hungry. You're here because you ate and were filled at this spot. Clearly, he declared that he was the Messiah. But instead of giving them the bread from heaven, he says, I'm giving you myself. There's nothing that Jesus can give us more than himself. They wanted a sign from heaven. Now, the Jewish tradition said, the, the rabbis had been teaching, that when the true Messiah came, he would be recognized by doing a sign, and the sign would be that he would bring back manna as Moses had. If you remember your Old Testament, or you can read about it in the book of Exodus, you'll find that while the children of Israel were in the desert wondering, God fed them miraculously with manna, bread out of that fell from heaven, and they could collect it every day. And Jewish lore and tradition took that further and said, when the Messiah comes, and he's coming again, and when he comes, he'll bring and produce manna. And Jesus says, wait a minute. You're looking for manna, but guess what? I am the manna. He said it this way, John 6, verse 35. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. They were looking for manna. They were looking for a sign. Jesus said, I'm what you need to be hungry for. Because I'm not manna that perishes day by day. I'm not the manna that is here today and gone tomorrow. I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance of life. I'm not giving you something. I'm giving you someone. I'm giving you myself. And I say again, my friend, there is never any more, there is nothing more that Jesus can give us than himself. And so now you know what was so tough. The crowd said, wait a minute, this is hard teaching. <laughs> we don't know if we can accept that. We, we don't know if we can go that far. We're not ready for this. We don't understand this. This is a hard teaching. By the way, at this moment in time, the other, uh, the other writers, gospel writers tell us of things that Jesus would say. And the things that he would say were pointed and the questions he would ask were challenging. And, and, and rather than trying to, to tickle the ears of the crowd, if you will, he spoke very plainly the truth. And the truth was more about dying and accepting a cross than it was about gaining a crown. And so, <laughs> we begin to see that the crowd is starting to think about that now and starting to move back. And this crowd begins to disappear. <clears throat> the crowd begins to go away. 
They wanted the food, but they did not want the truth. In the end, most of them abandoned Jesus and refused to walk with him. As one writer said, he lost his crowd with one sermon. <laughs> with one sermon. And yet, another commentator, Warren Wiersbe, put it well when he said that Jesus did the sign to preach the sermon. In other words, he, he, he went through with this sign and gave them this sign so that he could give them the truth of the message. And the truth of the message is that by grace we've been given the bread of life and we are foolish to seek after signs and wonders and other things instead of feasting on the bread that we have. A searching crowd that's really confused. The second thing I want you to see in the text is a sad question. As, the, as they're leaving, as John said in the text that we read, <clears throat> they were going away. They're, they're leaving. They're not following him anymore. They're, they're going back home, if you will. The great crowd that was there by the seaside is now dispersing. And we all know how discouraging it is when crowds begin to go away, especially those of us who are in churches and church people. And you know how it is if, you've got a, if you're leading a ministry or if, or if you're doing a work of some kind. Maybe, maybe you're a pastor. Maybe, maybe you're a, a, a church leader. Maybe you're a ministry leader. Crowds somehow energize us. Last week, Easter energized us because of the big crowds. But now the crowds have all left. And the energy level must have been low. And the twelve, the closest followers that Jesus had, must have been moping to a certain extent. And so he looked at them with a sad question. You don't want to go away too, do you? Are you going to leave me also? Are you going to forsake me or are you going to follow me? Are you willing to pursue a cross rather than a crown? Are you willing to stay at it? Are you willing to persevere? Are you willing to walk with me through what I'm going to walk through? What a question. The pointedness of that question directs to us also, doesn't it? What are we hungry for? What are we looking for? What is it that we're pursuing? What is it we're hungry for? When we pull open the refrigerator doors and we look at all the things that this world has to offer us, all of the entertainment, all of the activity, all of the recreation, all of the wealth, all of the things that this world has. When we look at all of those things, what are we hungry for? Too often we name the name of Christ and we know that the answer, the, G, the Sunday school answer here is Jesus. But in reality, we're hungry for this and this and this and this and this. When Jesus is saying we should be hungry for him. And that's where our hunger lies. So do you, too, want to go away? Now, the third thing, I didn't read this. I want to finish this text because in the part, last part of the text, what we give is a really sober response. A really sobering response that really is heavy. Peter says, I'll answer the question. It's always Peter who's speaking up, right? It's Peter who said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Peter who now rises up and says, okay, nobody else wants to answer this question. Everybody else is afraid to answer the question, so I'll answer the question. And so Peter looked at him, boldly answered the question. He said, Lord, to whom will we go? To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, where else would I go? 
I don't know where else to go. The implication is, of course, we're going to stay. Yes, we're going to be here because we don't have any place else to go. We don't have anywhere else to go. We are here with you. Now, when I hear that question, that response, I think of a couple of things. One thing it could be that Peter is saying, at least in my mind and in my sight, could be that Peter is saying, we've left everything. We've left our fishing gear. We've left our boats. We've left our families. We've left everything. We don't have anywhere else to go. Or, or maybe Peter's response is this. Hopefully his response is this, if he's learned the lesson of the loaves. Hopefully Peter's saying, where can we find anything more sufficient than you? Where can we find anything more satisfying than you? Where can we find anything with greater peace or joy than being with you? Of course we're not going. And then he says so clearly, we have come to believe. <clears throat> We've come to believe. We heard the message. We considered the message. We've seen the truth that you've been speaking to us. And Lord, we believe. Now, Jesus had just said, <clears throat> I'm the bread of life. And anyone who comes to me and believes in me will be satisfied forever. Huh. Those who come to me, those who believe in me, Peter had done both. Remember early on in the ministry, Jesus was walking along this same sea, looked at Peter and said, Peter, come follow me. And Peter said, I'll come. I'm coming to you, Lord. And then I recall also that moment when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of living God, that declaration of belief. And now he says again, we believe Peter came to Jesus. Peter believed in Jesus. Someone said that coming to Jesus is believing in Jesus and believing in Jesus is coming to Jesus. But in reality, in a simple talk, it just means that we've come to the point that we're ready to place our faith and our trust in him, that we realize that our hunger will never be satisfied and our thirst will never be satisfied until we taste of the bread of life, the fountain of living waters. Until we realize what we're really hungry for. Did you know right now there are people all over this world who are racing toward religious um, beliefs, or re religious ideas, and, and spiritism, and spiritual things. And there's not a decline of these things. People are hungry for it. We just don't always know what we're hungry for. And sometimes we chase after stuff. We chase after signs. We chase after other things. And we've forgotten that Jesus really is enough. So, to finish this series, I really want to pull that question toward us. Not so much on Peter and the Twelve, but more to us now. What are you hungry for? Are you still trying to figure that out? What's your greatest hunger? What's your greatest desire? And where does Jesus land in the midst of that? Why are you coming to Jesus? Why are you listening? Why do you spend time with Him? Are you hungry for Him or is he looking at you and saying, sadly, have you decided to leave me? Do you too want to leave and follow the others to a way of a worldly life and worldly living? Are you too going to forsake the journey and the path of faith? You don't come to Jesus to get stuff, my friends. You come to Jesus to get Jesus. And by the way, the stuff can never compare to what we get 
in Jesus. You don't follow Jesus because it's easy. You follow Jesus because he's worth it. If you're looking for an easy faith, this is not it. It is easy to come to Jesus. It is very difficult to follow Jesus. What's your hunger? What are you hungry for? You can follow the crowd, or you can chase the crown. You can follow the crowd, you can chase the crown. You can follow Jesus, or you can turn away and go after other things. But I'm telling you now that the other things will never satisfy. And though it might appease your hunger for a moment, you'll just become hungry again. And then you'll try something else, and it'll appease it for a moment. And then you'll try something else, and it'll appease it a moment. You're never quite satisfied. But Jesus is saying in this simple question, follow me. I'm enough. I satisfy completely. I am the very source of life, the bread of life. He who comes to me and believes in me will never be hungry and will always be satisfied. Isn't that a powerful question? Well, I hope you've enjoyed this series, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. And I trust that right now, just with all the other things we've been talking about, putting it all together, perhaps right now is your moment to trust Christ. Maybe right now is the time for you to say, Lord, I've been chasing after other things, and I've got to tell you, my hunger has been in other directions, but it's not satisfying. Now's your time. Now's your moment to turn and to come to Jesus and to begin to enjoy the bread of life that feeds your soul and brings satisfaction to your life. Someone is waiting right now to talk to you, just waiting right now to join you in a chat, a conversation, to pray for you, to help you, to guide you, to answer any questions you may have, or to help you know how you can taste of this bread of life, this satisfier of life, how you can give your life to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. You've been such a blessing to my life, and I thank you that you are so good, so gracious, so faithful, so satisfying, and so real. And I pray, dear Father, right now that you will speak to many hearts through this question that Jesus asked a long time ago. We pray in his name. Amen and amen.